I'm excited to turn to the Bible with you today, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, page 991. Hopefully you may have a church Bible in your hands, or if you prefer, just please listen very carefully to God's word. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40 on page 991. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think if you were at the Commission Women's Day yesterday, then um, this is your second time this weekend just dwelling on this particular passage, which I pray will be a great blessing to you. Shall we pray? Father God, we want to understand your commandments and we want to know what is the, f- the first and most important thing that you would have us do. So please, I pray that you would use this time. pray that you would um, give us a united vision together for what we would like to see happen in our city, in our church. And we ask it, therefore, it has to be in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, Father. Amen. When I moved in here, I found a a dusty old map rolled up in the basement. And it was so good. I had it framed. Can I show it to you? Ben and David, I I need your muscles for this. Would you mind? So I found it rolled up, and um, it's a map dated 1885 of Haringey. And thanks, guys. Does it go any higher, or is, is that what we've got? <laughs> and above your head? No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, so you've got the, the, the Haringey ladder here, and um, it's fascinating because it's dated 1885. It's an auction map, and I don't know if you can see, there's loads of tiny little lots. It's all divided into lots, so they were auctioning off the land around here, and they were selling it. Who wants this house, number 31, on such and such a road? So it was the first time they'd ever built these streets in London. And the reason I particularly love it is because it mentions St. Paul's Church twice. So you've got, you've got St. Paul's Church here, that's that grey rectangle, and that was on Burgoyne Road, and they built a little corrugated iron hut, like a scout hut, and that's where St. Paul's Harringay started off. They, they, that was a church plant, they met there for a few years, and if you were alive then, that was where your church would have been. But then it also mentions St. Paul's here, because it says, Site for Proposed Church, and it's the top of Cavendish Road, this is Whiteman Road, and they set aside some land, quite a big chunk of land actually, um, to build a bigger church building because they realized that this scout hut was too small and that they had a vision for a bigger thing here. And that's where they built this stone church which did the job for many, many decades and lots of ministry happened there. You see why I wanted that framed? I thought this doesn't deserve to be rolled up in gathering dust in a basement. This deserves a a place that's part of our church history. And in particular, I love it because it speaks about the vision that the church at the time had. They were saying, 
we would love to see God work in this neighborhood. We'd love to preach Christ here. And for them, that meant, let's build a bigger place. For us, I want to talk to you about our vision today. And for us, thankfully, we're not contemplating a building project at the moment. That, that, that may be for the future or it may not be. But what I would like to talk to you about is our vision together as a church. Guys, thank you very much. I don't know how hard that was, but I'm grateful to you. You could pop it back down there. And if you were here in um, November, you would have heard us announce our new vision, which is to love Jesus and love neighbor and grow disciples and plant churches. And we're saying, we've come a long way. You know, the last five years, we had a different vision about being a family on mission, treasuring Christ. And God has done amazing things amongst us, which we're so thankful for. We felt like it was time, now that he'd done that, to say, well, what's next, Lord? And um, this is what the elders and I agreed when we met to pray and think ran it past the PCC and they said yes. So this is what we would love to do. But what, what I'm hoping to do is um, preach four sermons so that we can spend some time here. And I'd have to show you in the scriptures. Don't just take our word for it. I'd love to show you these are really mega biblical priorities. I'd love us to own it together. And I'd love us, as we look to the, say, the next, say, five to ten years, to pray and work towards this together. Does that make sense? Of course... Someone may say, oh, what are you talking about? Vision. I mean, this is management speak. Don't bring that corporate stuff into the church. I get it. I understand that. You don't have to use the word vision if you don't want to. But this is, this is our family language, okay? And these are the things. As the, as the pastor here, I'm saying to you, why don't we see if we can work towards these things together over the next few years? And if we can, I mean, what joy. And if we don't, well, at least we tried. I don't, want to, I don't want to die and stand before Jesus and, and be overawed and thankful. I do want to be those things. But I don't want to say, oh, Lord, if only I made the most of the time and opportunities you gave me, but I didn't, and now it's too late. I want to try this, and I'm excited to see what will happen if we do. Which leads us to Matthew chapter 22, which is where I want to root the first sermon. We're talking about loving Jesus today, and I'll, I'll do one sermon a month for the next four months or so. Loving Jesus, Matthew chapter 22. It may be that you're new here and you're deciding whether you want to join this church. Well, I hope actually this will be really good for you because you can, you can say, all right, well, I get what these guys are about and now I know whether I want in or not. It may be that you're a core part of the church here and if so, I hope you'll em- embrace this. I hope you might be fully on board with it. I do really want this to be interactive so our home groups are going to discuss these sermons every time we do them and I'm hoping that'll be a great forum for you saying, what was that about or can I suggest this ministry or how about we really t- lean into that or this I've got a great idea so please let's, let's do this together or it may be that you are leaving St Paul's today as a, a few of you are and if that's you then I hope that you will go away from here thinking I know exactly what I'm going to pray for my church family um, even though I'm away for, from them so we, we would love that we would ask that for you please as you go Matthew 22, have you still got that in front of you? I'm going to break this, um, this first vision statement down into the two obvious words. So we're going to talk first about love, and then we're going to talk about loving Jesus. So that's, that's, that's all I want to do for today. First line and break it into two. So firstly then, we want to love. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay, let's just pause there. The Jewish people loved to debate theology in those days, so they would, they would go and they'd test a young rabbi and they'd say, right, what's the greatest commandment? You've got 613, how are you going to synthesize it for us, rabbi? And this is quite a good litmus test for, for how good someone was. And Jesus, you notice how, doesn't even blink an eye, really, just comes straight back at them. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Verse 37, this is the first and greatest commandment. I mean, what would you say? If, if you had the chance, like, like Jesus just was handed, okay, one commandment for the whole of mankind, you could sort of insist, like, guys, you all have to do this thing. This is my commandment for you. What, what would you say? Quite an interesting concept, isn't it? I'm tempted to go for, um, lay down your weapons. Let's have no more of these wars. I think that'd be quite good. Or would you say, okay, um, give away your wealth? Because if everybody gave away wealth, then it would be a more equal planet and that would be really good I quite like that one as well I'd be interested to know what yours is but Jesus didn't go for either of those good ones he says I, I know exactly what we need more of it's love hmm. love the Lord your God Jesus' whole summary of the Old Testament law we learn from that that he doesn't think people primarily need more like rules so it's not so much a matter of put down your guns or give away your money he, he says we need more love Interesting. You could have turned to the other Ten Commandments, like don't murder, don't lie, but he didn't. The primary commandment from which all the other good ones will flow is love the Lord your God. And it would be enough if Jesus had just said this alone. If he just said that once, it would be enough for us to base our whole vision and our life on. But actually, this comes up again and again in the Gospels. It comes up all over the Bible. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, where you get the Shema in Jewish literature. Israel, if you hear one thing, I want you to... Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Oh, right. Or you get it in 1 Corinthians 13, famous chapter about love. But at the end of it all, Paul says, I want you to know that the greatest virtue above faith and hope is love. Or you get it towards the end of the Bible, 1 John chapter 5. John says Christianity, it starts with loving God. And from that flows obedience to God. So you see, across the Bible, it says love is the first and greatest commandment. It has this catch-all, all-encompassing nature. It, what Colossians 3 says, love binds all the other virtues together in perfect unity. Let me try and prove it to you, because I think, I think you know this, but I was persuaded it even more. Say you've got an employee. I want you to tell me, this is interactive quiz, multiple choice. Who is the most motivated employee out of these three? Okay? You've got employee A, motivated by fear. They, they work because they fear getting punished for not working. Employee B, motivated by reward. They work because they want the money, they want the wage increase, and they, they hope they might get a bonus. Employee C, motivated by love. They work because they, they love the organization or the cause they're working for or, or the boss they're working for. Hands up for employee A, motivated by fear. They work the hardest. No, they don't, because as soon as someone's not watching them, they don't work anymore. Employee B, motivated by reward and money, do they work the hardest? No, they don't, because as soon as the incentive of a reward is gone, they stop working. Employee C, hands up for them, motivated by love. Right, yeah, you get it? Because it doesn't matter if you're watching them. It doesn't matter if you're threatening them. They're just going to work. And so you see the incredible divine wisdom here. Jesus says, 
the first, the, the greatest thing that you could do as a human being is to love God. And everything else will flow from that. Which makes it the perfect summary of the Old Testament law. You know, there's lots in the law. It all matters. It's all God's word. But this is the first and greatest commandment. And it also makes it the first point of call in our vision together. Because if we can, if we can hit this, then I think all the rest of it will flow. We don't want hearts full of duty. We don't want hearts that are just full of fear. We don't want a sort of Christianity that's just full of drudgery. Like, okay, I guess I'd better serve Jesus for another five years. Okay. We want hearts that are full of love. By the way, I see this across the church already. I, I see it in so many of your lives. I, I see that you love Jesus, and I, I, I see lots of evidence of the rest of your life, just like a, like a great spring flowing into a river further, further downstream. But what I'm saying to you is, can we have more? <laughs> should we do that more? Should, should we just live our lives for loving Jesus and, and do this more and more and more? Because there ain't nothing like it. So I'm excited to look ahead down the track, and I, I see that God would answer that prayer. More love. But actually, it's not enough on its own because the second thing is um, we need love for Jesus. So love, we want love, but we also want love for Jesus. You know that famous song? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little love. Good, good song. I mean, a bit, bit cheesy, but good song. But if I may beg to differ, I mean, it's not strictly accurate, is it? Because the world doesn't just need more love. Because the world loves money. And I don't think we need any more of love for money in the world. I think, I think there's so much greed in the world that actually if we had more of it, that would, that would be a negative thing. The world loves power. And I don't think we need more love for power in the world. I think actually that's tearing the world apart. So what the world needs now is love for Jesus. And Jesus, you see, he's insisting this, verse um, 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Bible does this again and again. It distinguishes, um, it doesn't just celebrate love. Oh, if only everyone could love more, that would be fantastic. It says, who do you love? Do you love the Lord? 686 times in the Bible, the word love comes up. There's plenty of it, but you could, some of those are, um, you're a lover of money or you love the world, or you love the places of honor, or the important seats, or it says you love falsehood. But actually, what it wants to impress upon us is this positive, yeah, but love God. Spend your life loving God. Jesus actually explicitly rules out love for other things. Like Matthew chapter 6, earlier in the gospel, he says you cannot love God and money. Don't do that, because it's impossible. You just end up prioritizing one or the other. So I'm saying to you, let's be a church that, that loves Jesus. My colleague Ben said to me this week, Pete, this is a very uncontroversial sermon. <laughs> and I agree, Ben, it is, it is indeed. It, I mean, some sermons are more controversial. I'm just saying, Christians, when you love Jesus, I mean, it's, how obvious is that? And yet, not all Christians can agree that they want to love Jesus. They wouldn't all put it in that way. For instance, um, not all churches would be happy using that kind of relational language. So for a number of years, we've put on the notice board outside these exact words, love Jesus. And I've noticed it, is, um, it, it communicates to people. So some, some of you have joined this church because you walked past and you saw that and you thought, well, that sounds like a living church. 
That's, that's not the kind of dry, dusty old statement that, that you sometimes see. So I'll try that out. And not all people are able to talk about Jesus as if he's real or as if he's alive or as if he's good or as if he's coming again. So let's love Jesus. And I'm talking about the real Jesus, the one who died for our sins and came back to life again and will judge the whole world. Let's love him. I'm also saying let's love Jesus. I know that Jesus says love God. I know <laughs> that rather obvious point didn't escape me. You see that in the Bible. He doesn't say love me. He says love the Lord your God. And I know that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. But I, I've chosen to articulate it this way for our church because we live among so many Muslim and Jewish friends that I do want them to know how special Jesus is. So I think if we can be particular about this, if we can say we're, we're aiming to love Jesus, it will start up more conversations and it will just pique people's interest more. So I, I do want to love God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but I'm hoping this will make it worth investigating for some. And it's also not obvious because um, five years ago, I don't, I don't think we would have been able to confidently look around our whole church and say, oh yeah, I know you love Jesus. But part of what God has done here is across the whole church, 9.30 service and 11, has enabled us to get to know one another, trust one another, to eat together and pray together. And now I have great confidence, actually, this, this is something we can all agree on and we can set out on this new faith together. It's a very special thing for us to be able to say, yes, we love Jesus and we just want that more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, okay, very good. Although, <clears throat> you, you may be feeling new to things, or you may be feeling cold this morning, physically, or, um, or in your heart, you know, so that, that sort of hallelujah may just bounce off you. Uh, all right, hallelujah, whatever, loving Jesus. Uh -huh. But I want to say to you, if that's you, this is what there is to love about Jesus. Okay, two things. This, I'm going to click on this, and you're going to get a drop-down menu. A, who he is. B, what he's done. Firstly, who he is. There's so much to love about who Jesus is. So would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 is right at the end of your Bible and it's on page 1, 2, 3, 6. Hoping that um, we can spend time in sermons with the whole book of Revelation in the summer. So you could think of this like a, a foretaste, a wetting of the appetite. Revelation 5, do you have it? Page 1, 2, 3, 6. In verse 5 it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you see that? So he's, he's being called the lion of Judah. And this is a name getting at the fact that he's the king. He's the, the lion king, if you like, to, to name a, a popular film. And it's also the place where C.S. Lewis gets his lion idea for Aslan. And in the Bible, that, that idea of a lion coming from the tribe of Judah is rooted in Genesis 49. It's hundreds of years old as a prophecy by this stage. And it's saying, you're going to get this promised Messiah king. And when he comes, he's going to be like a lion. He's, he's going to be amazing. He's going to be the leader that you could all look to. He's going to be the everything you hope for as a nation. And he, when Jesus came, of course, he was noted for being from the tribe of Judah, that's very important, but also for being this kind of lion-like, strong, king leader. And he had, of course, all the pedigree and all the preaching and all the power, but none of the pride that people fear with kings. 
So who, who is Jesus? Well, he's the, he's the Messiah King. And not only that, but under who he is, we could also say he's, he's the Lord. You know that about Jesus? He is the Lord, the Son of God. And you, you get that here in Revelation chapter 5 because it says, see Revelation 5, 5, he is able to open the, the what? Scroll, right? And it's seven seals. And in Revelation, we'll look at this in months to come, but that's like the scroll of judgment. And only Jesus is able to open it because they've looked at all the other human beings and no one can. So it would be inappropriate for anybody else to sit on the throne of judgment and judge the world. I mean, David, I love you, but it would be inappropriate for you to judge the entire human race. Um, uh, you know, none of us could do that. We're not, we're not worthy of it. But they say to Jesus, oh, you're the Messiah King. You're the Lord God. So you get to sit on the throne. That's who he is. A friend of mine visited, um, visited Buckingham Palace a couple of years ago and they were doing one of those guided tours and they found themselves in the throne room of Queen Elizabeth at the time. And I think the way it worked was there was, there was a throne. You go up some steps and then it was like Elizabeth and Philip's thrones and a little red rope. See, you're not supposed to go towards the throne. But he found himself in there without a guard in the room. So do you know what he did? Stepped over the rope, ascended the steps, sat on the Queen's throne. Now, I don't know, uh, he didn't get caught, um, but if a, if a guard had walked into the room, the Tower of London, you know, uh, death perhaps, I, I don't know, there's probably some ancient law that says you can't do that. So it's extremely rude, disrespectful and wrong to, to sit on the throne of the universe. And yet what we have here is, is we're being told that Jesus is allowed to do that. He's a human being who's allowed to do that because of who he is. And of course, we also said what he's done. So we love Jesus for who he is, and we love Jesus for what he's done. So verse 9, Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to, open the, to, to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Lambs in the ancient world got killed, sacrificed to make up for what someone had done wrong, and in the costly death of Jesus, there comes a great freedom for all the world. What does it say? Revelation 5 verse 9, it says, because you were slain. slain. Yeah, you see that? So it's saying, because you were slain, we love you. We sing about you. We, we see what you're doing. You're gathering a people from all over the world. And that's why today the church is the most diverse people group on earth. I mean, there are Christians on every continent. They, they, they cut across all languages and cultures and barriers because of what Jesus did. He's gathering these people by his blood. I think you can see evidence of this in St. Paul's Haringey. I mean, where else in Haringey today would you get the kind of diversity that we've enjoyed this morning? I'm thinking of both services. I'm thinking of all ages, cultures, backgrounds, languages, ethnicities. You think you might, you might get it at Sainsbury's? But people go to Sainsbury's because they want to fill their tummies. It's about them. People come to church because they love Jesus and they, they want to be here for him. So I think it's an amazing thing that God is doing in churches like ours all over the world. So we love Jesus for what he's done. Now look, the, the elders and I are wary of, of transactional gospel presentations. So what I don't want to lay before you is something that just says, God, Jesus, we love you for what you've done. Um, thank you for that ticket to heaven that you printed for me. I'll take that and I'll, I might see you sometime. See you later. So I'm, I'm wary of that because although there's truth in it, I think it can reduce Jesus down to this sort of, thanks for being my service provider. I'm done now. I'm set. 
Whereas actually, I want to say to you, we, we love Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And I would love to grow more and more in that because I get the impression this is a feast that's not going to dry up. So let's love Jesus, my friends. One other verse I've been enjoying this week is, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We won't turn there now, but Paul says to one of the Greek churches, there is um, a love that has been kindled in them. And you know, kindle, it's, it's a little word, isn't it? It's to do with a little flame and a fire that's just beginning. And I really like that because it says, um, well, do you know what, Pete? A love has been kindled in you, but there's potential. The flame could grow and, and God would be willing to turn the gas up on, on the hob of your heart, if you like. So um, I, I really love that and I pray it for our church. I know we do love Jesus and by the Holy Spirit's power, I'm praying that we would love him a lot more in the future. Just so you know, there is a sort of activism, um, especially among evangelical Christians, which wants to move to the more active verbs quickly. You know, so these, this sort of feels like where you're getting the ministry done in some ways, right? Can we just talk about planting churches, please? Or what are we going to do to grow disciples? Whereas actually, I, want, I do want to dwell here. I, I want to say, let's, let's love Jesus. Can we just make sure we get that right above everything else? And we'll see what the Lord does further down. It was actually M. Fox who was um, in a PCC meeting with uh, me and others a few years ago and we were talking about um, getting people involved in subcommittees and um, my thing in that meeting was I really, really wanted every PCC member to be involved in some sort of subcommittee or ministry. I thought that would really be good, sort of spread the load out. And it was, I'm grateful to M. who pointed out that actually some of our church council, they're really old, so they can't do loads of that stuff you want them to do, Pete. And it dawned on me then, yeah, that's true, and it's wonderful. And some of our church, they've got disabilities, and they can't do lots of the stuff that I would sort of quite like them to do, ideally. Some people have got capacity issues, so they're not able to get involved in those and those of stuff. And it was a fantastically helpful moment for me as I realized, hmm, yeah, and that's okay. But what they can all do, and what they they do do in so many cases is they love Jesus and he's fantastic so maybe we'll never achieve any overt obvious ministry in this church I don't know maybe we won't grow maybe we will maybe we'll plant churches maybe we won't but one thing I'd love us to do is to love Jesus another member of our church who um, is in a home group is known for just piping up sometimes I just love Jesus here in this story I just love Jesus here isn't that a wonderful thing to say just to be known for saying that oh, I'm not tired of this guy yet I love him I've had a fresh view of him today so hopefully this is one of the least controversial and most obvious sermons you'll ever hear I, I want us to love Jesus I'm praying that we'll be about that as a church before I finish there's just two, two practical things that I'm really looking forward to in the years to come with you worship and prayer. Can we spend a moment on each of them? Firstly, worship. Our gathered worship, I think, will in the years to come be a really joyful time that makes it obvious to people, wow, these people love Jesus. I just think that it's a really obvious time and space when people will be able to walk into our church and go, I don't really get everything that's going on here, but I can tell these people love this guy called Jesus. Now, I know that um, you have the misfortune of having this middle class, posh, British, 
Anglican pastor. So, you know, there are some ways in which our church is, I don't know, it's, it's always going to have a bit of me about it as long as I'm leading here, right? So, sorry. So that means you're probably going to get a bit British, reserved, awkward, posh culture. I can't help that. That's just who I am. But what I would love is in, in the midst of me and you and everyone that we are, I'd love it if people walked in and whether they're, you know, a child or whether they've got no English language or whether they're a complete atheist and they find themselves in here, I'd love them to be able to say, you know, these guys love Jesus. I can tell. There's, there's something about the way they worship, the way they sing, the way they are when they're together. I, I, I get that about them. So that's worship. And then um, prayer. If we love Jesus, then I'm, I'm hoping that we might grow in prayer together. I myself am on a journey from hating God. You know, one, at one stage, I really, really did hate God in my life. Um, and sometimes people express that more viscerally and more, more subtly. But I'm on this journey from hating God towards loving God. And that's only going to grow as I get towards eternity. And part of that is prayer. I, I, increasingly, I, I love to pray to God. And I'm getting a bit better year on year. I hope it's the same with you. So I'm looking forward to the next five or ten years when let's pray together. Let's, let's just spend time loving God. I would love to see it grow. So on Sundays, I'd love prayer time to be really special together. You know, that sort of sense. If, if I say, hey, let's all get up and we'll lay hands on everybody and just go for it and pray. I, I, you know, that is always a little bit intimidating, but I'd love to just enjoy those times in the years to come. I'd love it if informally, you know, there's evidence of people just praying together. Oh, that is a hard thing that's going on in your life. Can I pray for you? Normal, growing behavior. I'd love it if our church prayer meetings were a real highlight, which I don't feel we're yet at. I'd love it if it's the time people just look forward to loving Jesus and pouring out their hearts in prayer. Similarly, for home group prayer meetings, if we can just meet together and pray. Or when we're alone, but we're praying for our church, I'd love that to be a time when you think, this is ministry, this is loving Jesus. I love my church, and I'm going I'm to pray to the Lord I love about them. So I have a real eager expectation for that, 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 that God is going to do that work amongst us in prayer. You may have others. So as, particularly as you go to your home groups or as you chat afterwards, I'd love to know, you know, how do you see this working? Give us a decade. How do you see love for Jesus working itself out? Let's get it all out there. <laughs>